The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. find out a few things as we get into the word this morning when we're going to find out what Satan's plan is. I love talking about the kingdom of God. I love talking about uh, Jesus. In fact, there was a, a time where I just thought it was a waste of time to talk about the devil. Let's just talk about Jesus. I still feel that way for the most part, but I do see that there is a, a prevailing effort by our enemy in a lot of people's lives. So I think it's important just to sit back, examine, and say, hey, we need to look at this and realize this is what our enemy is up to. And when we know what our enemy is up to, we can have a better understanding of what we need to do to see to it that he doesn't prevail. So we're going to find out what Satan's plan is. It's going to explain a lot. It might make a lot of things that are going on in your life make a little sense. And also it can give us some direction how we need to respond. Another thing that we're going to find is what must be mastered. What must be mastered. Mastered is an interesting word there. And then we're going to find out a third thing here. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Now, how to be more than a conqueror. How to be more than a conqueror. That that may kind of ring a bell. You know, even if if the scripture is something new to you, if you've been in church, you maybe have heard that more than a conqueror. That sounds familiar to me. I think I've heard that before. Well, it's in the scripture. It's in the book of Romans. And it's an identity that belongs to me and to you as we're found in Jesus Christ. We are equipped and empowered to do these amazing things in Jesus, and we are called more than conquerors. We're going to find out how to not just know that and say it, but how to actually be that. What has to happen for us to actually be more than conquerors? So I want to get into the word. I want to talk about the devil's plan, Satan's plan. It might explain a few things that maybe have gone on in your life or maybe are going on, and it can protect us from allowing those things to go on in the future. So if you have your notes there, I want you to turn to the book of James. The book of James, if you have your Bible out, turn to the book of James. If you have your notes, you can write it down. Book of James, chapter 1. You feeling loose this morning? You ready to get something? Yeah, I am too. I am too. James, chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Everyone, I love to stop there. Can you say everyone for me? Yeah, who's everyone? Yeah, but it's all of us, right? It's all inclusive. There's nobody excluded from this. No one is excluded. This means you. It means me. It means the person sitting next to you. It means the person sitting next to them. It means the person worshiping down the street. It means absolutely everyone. So we come to a place where we understand that everyone is involved in this. Now, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 starts with everyone, and it goes on to say this. Everyone must. Now, must is an amazing word to me. I want to ask you this question just as we think, just to get the wheels turning. Because you know who your favorite preacher is? You. (laughs) Thanks, honey. Your favorite preacher is you. I mean, you're constantly talking to yourself. You're constantly thinking to yourself. You're constantly giving yourself input on what decision to make. 
I'm sure most of us didn't just wake up dressed this morning, but you chose that gorgeous outfit that you're in. You are directing things in your life. You're a wonderful conductor of a beautiful orchestra that is you. You're your favorite preacher. So we got to catch something here. I like to get the wheels turning because even though I might be the one delivering the message, you're going to be preaching it to yourself. So everyone is all-inclusive. No one's left out of this. And then everyone must. Let those wheels turn on that little four-letter word, must. I mean, just think about that word. What does it mean to you? What is it? What, what, how powerful is that one little word? I'll give you a few thoughts. Maybe your wheels have already turned and you've just blown right past this. Maybe they're stuck and you need a little help. But must is without any condition. Must is not might or maybe. Must is not could be. There's not a time where this must is not in full effect or carrying full power that what is about to be revealed has to happen. It is a requirement. Are you following me? Must is absolute. And I think if we can just catch that on must, we could realize, hey, what's about to come is really important. And if this isn't a part of my life, there's going to be problems. So everyone, all-inclusive, must absolute. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Can I get a uh-oh? Yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, I don't want to see any hands because uh, we're not in this to humiliate or beat down. We're in this to, to raise up and build up and to get better. But Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many of you feel like that describes you to a T? (laughs) Not me. I can promise you that. If we were throwing hands up, mine would be high up. I promise you. But we're seeing something here. All-inclusive, everyone must, absolute, and then this description. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and oh, please, Jesus, be slow to anger. And then here's why. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not a cliche. It's not just something pastors say to give everyone the warm and fuzzies. It's actually a reality. Your life is so intentional. You are so on purpose. If we were to take a calculator and try to do the math, run the odds against your existence, it would just fizzle out and start smoking because they are astronomical, literally. The numbers are off the charts that you would be you. Because just the idea that you would be you doesn't just depend on you. Depends on your parents, depends on their parents, depends on their parents' parents, their parents' parents' parents. It goes way back. You are absolutely on purpose. And never think otherwise. And you're on purpose with a purpose. There's a reason for your existence. A call on your life. That call is to do something great for God. And greatness for God isn't just found in cathedrals and pulpits. It's not about becoming a preacher or anything. It's about being successful as a husband or a wife, as a parent, being godly in a very corrupt world of business. 
Doing something great for God is about doing things God's way here on the earth. So that the earth stops being the domain of darkness and starts being the kingdom of light. That's doing something great for God. So here's what we know based on this scripture. Everyone, all inclusive, must absolute. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger because the anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. What that means is if we're angry people, we'll never be able to do what God's called us to do. So if I'm your enemy and I know that's true, I'm going to devote every one of my resources to making you angry. Because you've got a call on your life to do something great. And the blood of Jesus can't be stopped. The power of the Holy Ghost can't be stopped. But if I can get you angry, you'll never accomplish what God's called you to. I think that's the devil's plan. I think that's his only hope of resisting or stopping the saints. Get them mad. Get them angry. Get them angry at each other. Let them just stir and brew. And they'll never accomplish what God's called them to. And so I want to just stop there and think for a second. Let you think for a second. Remember, you're your favorite preacher. Let those wheels turn. If you can come into that understanding that I can never accomplish what God wants me to if I'm angry, does that explain a few things in your life? Some things maybe where there's been difficulty or a hardship or maybe where you feel like it seems like you know there's a great call on your life, but yet there's constantly things put in front of you, obstacles set in front of you that are there to make you mad, there to get you angry. Because remember, if Satan can get us angry, we'll never accomplish what God wants us to It explains a lot to me. I know that there's been wonderful and amazing things that God's called me to, and I stepped into them with tremendous joy and great excitement, anticipation, really looking forward to things. And then here comes the obstacles. Now, the obstacles are normal. Jesus said they're normal. He called them stumbling blocks. He said, hey, stumbling blocks will come. They're going to come. So we shouldn't think it's abnormal. I don't have those stumbling blocks and think, man, I'm doing something wrong. Something's wrong with me. No, they're normal. They're going to be there. The question isn't, should it be there? The question is, how am I supposed to respond to this? Because no matter what, we've got to understand something. Anger is a choice. It's fact. We'll see that in just a second. If you're taking notes, I would write that down. And I, I actually print. You know, it's cursive is just kind of, if I don't know how to spell something, I'll write it in cursive. That way I can just blur the letters all around. And it's like, they'll never know. It's fancy. Anger is always a choice. Always. I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture of why this would be the devil's plan. Okay, we already know that you'll never accomplish what God has called you to if you're angry. It's the ultimate hindrance. 
The anger of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. And you know what's really interesting about that to me? That word achieve, what does that mean to you? Again, you're your favorite preacher, wheels turning. If you've achieved something, any of you ever gotten that certificate of achievement, you know? What does it mean to achieve something? That's a great word. I wasn't looking for people to, to shout them out, but I loved that one because I was actually wondering, how can I put this in one word? And you nailed it. Accomplished. You know, it means something's done. You don't get a certificate of achievement when you're halfway through. That would be like, hey, a certificate of progress. Keep going. So what this is saying is it's never going to come to completion. Never going to come to fruition, meaning be fruitful like it's supposed to be. And that, just when you wrap your mind around that, can make me stop and pause and just think, wow, not only is this a brilliant scheme to keep the saints from accomplishing what God's called them to, but it is also this horrible torture. It doesn't say the anger of man will never work on the righteousness of God. It says never achieve it. It means you will bust your tail. You will, you will give and not see harvest. You will do what's right and not see righteous results. You will do all of these things, but it won't come to fruition. I've been there before. I've pastored like that before. I remember once sitting in my desk, big, beautiful building and congregation and all that. I sat at my desk and I just realized something. And I don't think I can even take credit for realizing it. I think the Holy Spirit revealed it to me. When you're angry. And I thought, what? You're angry. You're ministering with a chip on your shoulder to prove something. You're angry. And all I could think of everything that I had done, well, I do this right. We take the high road here. That costs us, but we do it because we know it's right. I'm doing it all right. Yeah, but you're angry. So you know what that means? It's never going to come to fruition. You'll pay the price to do it right, but you're not going to get it done. It's a pretty massive revelation because you realize that doing it right is the right thing. It's not about, well, now we're not going to do it right. I want to do it right, but I want to get the results of doing it right. So I need to get rid of this anger. That happened to me. Not before I was born again, after I was born again. Not even right after I was born again. If I'd been born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, raised up by great leaders, and released to lead wonderful people. And here I am realizing it's never going to work because I'm angry. It's a scheme and a trap. And there's not one of us that's above it. So we come to a place where we realize this. We'll never accomplish, even though we'll work hard, take the high road, try to do it all God's way, but if we're carrying anger, it's never going to come to fruition. Never accomplish the righteousness of God if we're angry. Here's what anger does. This is why Satan wants to keep us angry. He wants to put stuff in your life, maybe even from long, long, long ago, and have it affect you today. Those people aren't here anymore. 
that thing is gone. That's not an issue anymore. But yet it still affects you. Here's why. I want you to take it down for your notes. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. This is why Satan is so interested in anger. Obviously, he knows that you'll never accomplish what God's called you to accomplish. But here's why. Here's why that's the case. Why you won't accomplish what God's called you to accomplish. Why I wouldn't accomplish what God has called me to accomplish. Here's why. I think it's important that we know why. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It reads like this. Hey, be angry, but yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. I like this passage because this helps me a little bit. There are things that happen that frustrate me. There are things happen that make me mad. There are things that happen that make me angry. And based on this passage, there's an element of relief. Now, I want you to hear this really clearly. And I mean, almost like we were talking to the kids, you know. Remember, sometimes we listen with our eyes. So if you have a chance, just look up here because I want to make sure this doesn't get misquoted. You've heard me lay the foundation that anger will keep us from accomplishing God's will. But catch this. Based on that scripture, be angry and sin not. God doesn't have a problem with me being angry or you being angry. The problem comes when we stay angry. Stuff makes me mad. Stuff frustrates me. Stuff makes you mad. Stuff frustrates you. If we were to decide, well, we're going to be a people free from anger, so nothing's ever going to make me mad, we would become a people who were liars because stuff is going to make you mad. Stumbling blocks will come, just like Jesus said. It's not whether or not they're going to be there. It's what are you going to do about it? Are you going to stay angry? Or are you going to deal with it? The way that God has called us and equipped us to deal with it. With repentance and forgiveness. According to that, in Ephesians, we see that anger gives Satan an opportunity. I mean, again, you're your own favorite preacher. Just think about that word opportunity. We come in here and we sing of the power of the blood of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Ghost and all of those things. But if we're angry, we leave a door open for Satan. We give him a chance to come and mess everything up. We give him an opportunity. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, even if you're starting to get a little bored and wanting to doze off, at the very least, you've got to say, wow, there's something there that's worth thinking about. If we become angry people, we give Satan an opportunity. An opportunity to do what? Well, do what he does. You look up John 10.10, you can put it there in your notes. John 10.10 is one that we quote a lot because it's Jesus saying, I came to give life and life abundantly. But he's contrasting what he came to bring against what darkness brings, against what Satan brings, against against what all falsehood brings. He's saying, I came to give life and life abundantly, and we love that part. And we should. 
But he's contrasting it against the darkness that's, that's in this world that does three things. Steals, kills, and destroys. So if we become an angry people and we give the devil an opportunity, what are we giving him an opportunity to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. You know, I don't think I've ever done anything out of anger that didn't leave me broke or at least cost me money. That didn't hurt somebody. Jesus was very clear that you don't have to take someone's life to be a murderer. You do it with your tongue. Slander, accusation, name-calling. Done that before. And then destruction. Just destroy. Pointless, mindless, fruitless destruction. Just this past week, something happened. Kind of inspired the word for today. It was a work-related thing, you know. It didn't even matter. There was a project that was up to be bid on and drew it up and they decided to go another route. It was their call. It was totally up to them. I don't know why it made me mad. And then mad kind of put me in the spot where I'm kind of just doing my thing again. And all of a sudden now I'm thinking thoughts. Picturing myself having conversations with people who aren't in the room. Conversations where I say things that are sharp, witty, awesome, Hollywood worthy. But things that would ultimately lead to the burning down of everything that's been built. All because I'm mad. That's that's destruction. Just to destroy. And I've seen men do it. It's, it's really terrible to see. I've been a man that's done it. Just not had things go my way. Throw your stuff down and you're done. For about two seconds, you have your walk away, your slow motion. And then all you're left with is destruction. Fruitless. All because anger prevailed. Wow. So I said we're going to find what needs to be mastered. I want you to turn some more in the scripture. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I don't know that there could ever be a bigger message in a smaller passage. So a whole lot of information being communicated in just a couple of lines. Genesis chapter 4. Now, we're specifically going to look at verses 5 through 7. But I want to start a little bit earlier. I'm going to read here from verse 3, and we'll read down. So it came about that in the course of time that Cain... Now, Cain is a man in the Bible... He's the son of 
Adam and Eve. There's another man that we're going to read about. His name is Abel. He's also a child of Adam and Eve. If you're not familiar with the story, just read through there in your own time. You'll catch it. It reads like a narrative. It's nice. But something really horrible is about to happen here. These two people are doing something. One does it God's way, and the other does it his own way. And we see the own way, my own way. Right here in verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain, who was a farmer, brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground. And Abel, that's Cain's brother, of his part, now Abel was a shepherd, brought the firstlings of his flock. Now I want to just stop there because it helps us to understand what's going on here. If we don't catch this, we won't get an accurate view of who God is. We'll see him as conditional in his love. Well, I like you, but you not so much. That's not what's going on here. There's deep, affectionate love for every single one of God's children. So you have a situation here where Cain, in his own time, brings an offering from what he does, and Abel, who is a shepherd, brings the first of his flock. If you read between the lines here and you apply the rest of the Scripture, you see one guy is bringing the tithe, the first fruits, and another guy is just kind of bringing an offering whenever he feels like it. Now, there's one of these that's very biblical. God says, put me first. That's the tithe, put me first. That's the reason why the tithe has redemptive qualities. Jesus Christ is referred to as the first fruits of men, meaning he was given first. And now what do we celebrate? Redemption. The tithe has redeeming qualities. Where when you give to God what is the first, what belongs to him, the rest is redeemed and it actually can be productive. Until then, it's just under the curse. That's a message in and of itself. But I want to make sure that we at least catch the idea that God is not a respecter of persons. Rather, he set before us blessing and cursing, and whatever we choose is the result we're going to get. So Cain obviously chooses to do it his way. In my own time, I'll bring you an offering of whatever I got laying around. Abel brings the first fruits of his lambs, his flock, of his revenue, his income, whatever you want to call it. And they make their sacrifices. They give their offerings. And then this happens. So for Abel's offering, the first fruits, God had regard. He accepted it. And for Cain's offering, he had no regard. He did not accept it. So now I want to see this. You'll see this in the last part of verse 5. Okay? So I want to make sure your eyes get to verse 5. And it starts with this. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. Period. Now new sentence. So. Can you say so? So is revealing something. So is revealing, since God had no regard, the result is this. Things didn't go Cain's way. He didn't get it the way he wanted it. He was expecting something. He did something, and it didn't turn out like he wanted to. Now, here's the result. That's the power of that one, two-letter word, so. So Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell. He didn't do it God's way. Therefore, he didn't get God's results. And because he didn't get the result that he was after, he became angry. 
So here we are now in Genesis 4. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now verse 6. Then God came to Cain. Now I love this. Man, I think this is awesome and it should really put some fuel in our tank. This guy did it wrong. Not only did he do it wrong, but then he got mad about it. In my household, that's called a fit. Does that work for you? Is that a Hebrew word, fit? Yes. He did it his own way, didn't get the outcome he wanted, and he got mad. And I love that there wasn't thunderbolts and lightning and everything that's frightening. You just had God come and talk to him. In the midst of his rebellious act, in the midst of his fit, you don't have a God who's like angry at him, vengeful with him, but you have a heavenly father who wants to redirect his steps, discipline him, not punish, discipline, big difference. Punishment is vindication. You did this now, feel the sting. Discipline is, hey, if you do it that way, you're never going to get the right result. Let me help you do it right. Discipline. To redirect. So God shows up in the midst of this man's rebellion, in the midst of his anger, pitching a fit, and God just asks him a question. And I know God asks this question to each one of us today Hey, why are you angry? What do you have to be angry about? And then he goes on and he keeps it really simple. I love this. We could never do this. We would build institutes and have four-year courses, and then we would decide whether you passed or not, or we would fail you or whatever. But he just keeps it real simple, and he just says, hey, listen, if you do it right, you'll get happy again. Man, parenting 101, huh? Hey, listen, yeah, you blew it. And that's the result you're going to get. And by the way, every time you do it that way, you're going to get that same result. You'll never be happy with that. But hey, listen, do it right next time and you'll get a different result and you're going to love it. Isn't that awesome? Why are you angry? Don't you know if you just do it right, everything will be fine. And then he goes on to say this, and this is where I really want us to pay attention. But, but hey, pay, pay very close attention, Cain. Listen, I'm not threatening you. I'm revealing to you truth. If you don't do it right, if you stay angry, sin is crouching at the door. Remember, anger gives the devil an opportunity, the devil who steals, kills, and destroys. He's crouching at that door. And if you stay angry, that door will open. And his desire is to come in and have you. And then God just says this, and this is what I want us to hear. Remember I told you before we're going to find out what we need to master. He says, if you don't do well, sin, that satanic devil is at the door. His desire is for you, but you must master it. Master what? Anger. Because it's anger that gives the opportunity. You got to deal with that anger, son. You've got to deal with that anger to keep that door shut. Because, son, if you don't deal with that anger, that rage, that... It's just going to lead to death, 
destruction and loss. But you must master it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, just think about that. I mean, again, you're your own favorite preacher. Let those wheels turn. Who must master it? You. Me. And there's a lot of times where I'll sit around and be asking God to do things for me. You know, oh, just do this for me. Take this away from me. But yet there's something about him equipping us to deal with it that makes us grow up and get better. I've learned a lot about my relationship with God by having kids. I've learned this, that at eight years old, if I do everything for them, then they will need me to do everything for them when they are 30. And I don't want to do everything for them when they are 30. I want them to know how to do things, how to do things well. I want them to prosper. And God is no different in his perfect love and affection for us. He's put us in positions to do things with his authority and with his power. But our action, for a couple of reasons. One, he'll never take your will away from you because there's power in your will. You have the ability to choose life or death. You have the ability to choose blessing or cursing. That's your will. Your will has tremendous power. And then two, there's no growth, there's no maturity if he does it for us. And as soon as we're in a similar situation, we'll be right back in the same spot. Because we've never learned and we've never grown. So we have to master it. I want to give you a passage of scripture here, Psalm 37 verse 8. Psalm 37 verse 8, it reads like this. Cease from anger. Cease just means stop. Just quit. Stop from anger. Psalm 37 verse 8. Stop from anger and forsake wrath. It leads only to evil doing. Isn't it funny like as a church, as a congregation, as a group, you know, we set out on a crusade, this, this righteous war against evil doing. Let's put an end to all sin. Oh, you can't do that. That's evil. Evil doing, apparently, based on this scripture, is the result of anger. Maybe we ought to go on the hunt for anger and start ministering to the hurt and the rejection and the wound that exists in the hearts of believers. Perhaps that would clean up the sin issue that exists in the church. Instead of going back and regressing to the law in Moses' way, tablets, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Rather, we get people actually healed of the source of that rebellion. and You'll see that it does lead to rebellion in a bit. Here's a few things that anger brings. Anger will hinder healing. It will hinder healing. Now, healing can come in a number of things. It can be physical, emotional, mental. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 10. Remove anger from your heart 
And so put away pain from your body. I mean, I know that you might take a few liberties in pondering that, but I think they're liberties worth taking. Get rid of anger equals get rid of pain. Get rid of anger from your heart, get rid of pain in your body. Makes sense to me. Anger will have an effect on deliverance. Now, we operate in deliverance. Oftentimes, we refer to it as freedom ministry here. It's on the website. I'm sure most of you have not read the website. But it is freedom ministry. It's deliverance. It, it is casting out of unclean spirits. It's in the Bible. It's not for unbelievers. It's for believers. We all might think that, well, that's for those people that need Jesus. Well, actually, getting rid of the bondage and the affliction that afflicts a person's life is the benefit of being a Christian. I don't have to stay in that garbage. I'll spare you the sermon on that, but I'll be happy to bring it one day. My life is living proof of the power of deliverance. Because even in my unbelief, I still didn't like the misery that I lived in, but I could never get out of it. And it was when I became a Christian that I actually had the power and the authority to see all of that stuff that kept me afflicted removed from my life. That's why I'm quick to say it's for the believer. That doesn't mean you couldn't cast the devil out of an unbeliever. I just have a feeling it would come back. We can talk about that in greater detail some other time. But anger will interfere with deliverance, will cause problems. Here's a passage for us to ponder and consider as it concerns anger and its results on deliverance. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. Even if you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. Can't set him free. He's on a merry-go-round of grief, frustrating, banging his head against the wall because he can never shake loose from the bondage, the chains, the afflictions that limit and hinder the progress and the success in his life. And even if you set him free from it, he'll just do it again. Anger leads to rebellion. Now, rebellion is specifically bad, and I'll mention why here in a moment. But for the purpose of making the point, Proverbs 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Transgression is the word there that we're looking for. Just real quick, as Moses and God are conversing, about who God is. God reveals He's gracious and compassionate, that He's merciful, and that He pardons three things, three different things. Let me just hear you say three things. Okay. Yeah, three things. So you've got to catch this. They're different. One is sin. Sin is obviously wrong, but it's an error. The word sin was used as an archery term. It means I was aiming for that mark and I missed. I was trying to do it right, and I missed. We can do bad things, but not do them on purpose. We can repent of sin. Then there's transgression. He says, hey, I forgive transgression. I'll pardon transgression. Now, transgression is you hit exactly where you were aiming. You were just aiming for something nasty. You say nasty. Yeah, 
Yeah, you meant to do it. You knew what you were doing, and you did it. You knew it was wrong, and you did it anyway. Transgression is rebellion because you know better. Now, raising up my kids, oftentimes we had to correct behaviors or anything like that was against the rules or, or unsafe or whatever. And when they were young and didn't know better, it was this sin, this error. And now they're getting a little older and oftentimes you'll hear from their mother or from me, you know better. And you chose to do it anyway. It's altogether a different thing. We're not seeing this situation where someone's growing and learning. We're seeing the situation where somebody knows what they should do, but because of the condition of their heart, they choose to do what they want. Transgression. So when you see here that a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression, abounds means he's got a lot of it. Can't be abounding in something unless you've got a lot of it. Anger is going to lead to rebellion. It produces it. Once again, we go on the crusade to purge rebellion from the church. And we do it with our tablets. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Maybe we ought to minister to the anger in the hearts of believers. That causes them, even though they know better, to misbehave. The third thing that God told Moses he would forgive is iniquity, and that's when rebellion just becomes your lifestyle. The sad thing is when it becomes a lifestyle, it becomes hereditary, and iniquity can be passed down through generations. Back here, anger always is going to lead to judgment. Judgment, which you have to understand something. Grace, the work of the cross, the empty tomb, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all of this stuff is this freedom from judgment and wrath. And yet here, anger is going to lead to judgment. I'll give you a passage, Matthew 5.22. That's Jesus talking. It's not Preston. It's Jesus, and Jesus says this. He says, hey, but I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be found guilty before the court. Wow. As long as I'm angry at men, I'm going to be operating under judgment. As long as I'm operating under judgment, I'm not functioning in grace. It's a problem, isn't it? I want to give a few passages real quick. Some of these we're going to read between the lines. But I like to be solutions-oriented. I don't like just talking about a problem or an issue and then dismissing. I really want to see some change and some transformation and you know there's something here that I want to acknowledge before we get into these next few passages that it's just taken from life experience just taken from life experience I don't think that Jesus preached a message and said hey here's three things you need to deal with if you want to get rid of anger but I can tell you there's a few things that happen in my life where I become vulnerable to anger and if those things are in any way universal, then they might apply to your life too. So I want to just look at these things and just call them three keys, not the three keys. There could be lots more. But I want to look at three keys to mastering anger. Remember, if we don't master it, sin is at the door. Got to master it. 
So here's a few things. A key to mastering anger. Stay rested. My wife laughed. I think there's a reason why God called a Sabbath day and said, I'm requiring you to rest. How many of you, when you're tired, get a little grouchy? When you're tired, you get a little grouchy. You know who you are. Look at you kind of grinning and smiling. Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know it's you. You get tired. The truth is God designed rest into our existence. He even said, I will go with you and I will give you rest. And even as he set up creation, he designed it so that we would have a day of rest. And when we don't stay rested, we're not doing it God's way. And we're not doing it God's way. We're just like Cain. We're not going to get God's results. And then we fuss. God. We've got to stay rested. I'll give you that passage because I think it's important just to see how God values this. Exodus 33, 14. Man, I'd love for you just to read that passage, just the whole thing. It's Moses and God talking. And man, I'd love for this to just transfer to Champions Church as a congregation. The spirit behind this conversation is Moses talking to God and just saying, hey, listen, you're the only thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world. And if we move another step without you, we're just like them. It's you. It's all about you. You are the only thing that makes us different. And we need you. Isn't that awesome? And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And then of all the things he could have said, he could have said, I'll go with you and I'll destroy your enemies. He could have said, I'll go with you and I'll put on miracles and signs and wonders and just really keep you all highly entertained. He said, I'm going to go with you. and I'm going to give you rest. You know what that tells me? It's rest that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Wow. So if we want to master anger, I think it's important that we do things God's way and stay rested. How many of you are now planning a nap for after service? There you go. Amen. Now here's another thing. Now this one may not communicate so well, and it might even be to my detriment and my shame because I told you these are kind of pulled from my own life experience. So I'd sure hate to you know, shrink in stature before your eyes. But I can tell you, I get a little fussy when I don't get attention. Just like a baby. Hey, I'm over here. Oh, yeah, that is the key. My wife's really thinking about this one. Uh, key number one, you got to stay rested. Key number two, you got to be connected. The body of Christ is meant to be a healthy, safe source of attention where we can have friendships, quality relationships that aren't looking for an angle, that aren't looking for a spouse. Just joking for some of you singles out there. Don't raise your hand. How many of you singles ever like, had a prophecy of who you're going to marry? See, I don't like that stuff. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan. But it's a healthy, safe place for us to grow together, 
to fellowship, to get the need. And by the way, it is a need. Some of us men think we're islands. You're not. You got to have attention. Because without attention, you're not valued, appreciated, or noticed. And don't you love that the ministry of Jesus Christ starts with attention? He's baptized by John the Baptist, and heaven opens up, and God just says, Hey, everybody, look over here. That's my son. And man, I'm pleased with him. Isn't that cool? Healthy affirmation. Building up. It's necessary to protect us from anger. We've got to be connected. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. There's a lot of liberties taken with this one, but I think it fits. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. (laughs) It's just not good, man. Something's going to go wrong. And, you know, and then he said, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. We have as our helper the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out so we could all be individual super Christians. The Holy Spirit is poured out so that we can have a bond pulling us together. so that we can have something in common even though we're so different. It's meant to unite the body. Where is your spirit? Maybe in your body? Where's the spirit of God? In the body of Christ. And that's me and you. We've got to be connected or we run the risk of being angry. And then I think some of you can relate to this, maybe even right now, because we're running a little bit late. I put a third key to mastering anger is nutrition. It just means you got to be fed. Now, nutrition's important. I was told that they actually added the word hangry to the dictionary. Have you heard that? That you're so hungry, you're just mad. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually something that they did. But, you know, we've got to stay rested. I I get, I'm vulnerable to anger if I'm grouchy. We've got to stay connected. I'm vulnerable to anger if I don't have attention, affirmation, if I feel ignored, unvalued. And then we've got to stay healthy. We've got to have nutrition. You've got to stay fed. You get hungry. How many of you get a little prone to being a little snappy? I do. (laughs) I'll give you a passage of scripture here. Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Jesus is responding to Peter. In verse 15, Peter says, hey, explain to us what you just said. You know, that's that's not a bad thing to talk to God about. I love that. You can sit down and read your Bible and just say, hey, will you explain to me what I just read? 
I really want to know what it is. I don't want to read it out of habit or discipline. I don't want to memorize it in a form that's void of any power or authority. I really want to understand it and have it transform my life. That's what Peter's saying here. He's just saying, hey, will you please explain to us what you just said? Oftentimes, we just kind of like nod. Yeah, yeah. You ever been at the doctor's office and they're saying something you don't even understand? You're like, yep, yeah, hmm, yeah. I've done that plenty. Peter just says, you know what? Hey, I don't get it, and I'd like for you to explain that. And Jesus says, hey, listen. You need to understand something, that everything that passes through the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. He, he uses a, a more colorful term there. Have you ever read Everybody Poops? I think Jesus read it, because that's basically what he's saying. He said, you eat it, it passes through your body, and you poop it out. He's a carpenter, so I'm not even sure that he said poop. And he said, you know, listen, it's the things that come out of a person that defile them, not what goes in. It proceeds out and it defiles. For out of the heart come all evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile a man. This is the stealing, the killing, the destroying, that if the door is opened by anger for the devil to come in, this is what comes out. It's all of these things that bring about defilement. Now, I don't want anyone to misquote this. Jesus isn't saying that what goes in isn't important. In fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying, hey, everybody, look, be advised. What goes in is going to come out. What you put in your life, you put anger in your life, anger is going to come out. You put adultery in your life, adultery is going to come out. You put unclean things in your life, unclean things are going to come out. And it's the coming out part that defiles the man. That's why I'm so concerned about what you put in you. Because it's not a matter of if, but when. It will come out. And that is when the defilement will take place. That's why I want to be careful what we turn our eyes to, what we give our ears to. That's why I want us to be careful what goes in because it's destined to come out. And when it comes out, it's destructive, murderous. So if we're going to master anger, it's going to require us to do a few things. We need to stay rested. God designed rest to be a part of our lives. We've got to be connected when we are alone. It's bad news. That connection does not exist in a healthy way outside of the body of Christ. I don't care how cool your friends are. The only way for healthy fellowship is within God's design for healthy fellowship. And we've got to stay nourished. We've got to keep a careful watch on our diet, what goes in, because what goes in is what's going to come out. To take in violence is to produce violence. To take in immorality is to produce immorality. But to take in light is to release light. To take in the word is to release the word. To take in hope and encouragement is to release hope and encouragement.
really is true. You are what you eat. And I mentioned before we're going to find how to be more than a conqueror, and we're done with this. It's a long message, and I appreciate your patience. Romans 8.37 says that in Jesus we overwhelmingly conquer. Some of your translations say we're more than conquerors. This is something that is quoted as a word of encouragement to build up and to uplift, but I would like for us to not only be built up and uplifted, but actually understand why and how it works so that it can be a reality in our lives. I want to give you a passage of Scripture as we close here. How to be more than a conqueror. Proverbs 16, 32. Proverbs 16, 32. Proverbs 16, 32, it reads like this. The one that's slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who can rule over his spirit is greater than the one who can capture a city. What makes us more than conquerors is our ability to master anger. To not be provoked, drawn in to carnal conflict, recklessness that leads to destruction, separation. To be more than conquerors means to be aware that there's a door. Behind that door is everything that steals, kills, and destroys. And that God has commissioned us to keep that door shut by mastering anger. If you're finished taking your notes, then I want to ask you to stand. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Church.